Great. Thank you. So uh, we're we're new. We're about a year into operation. We're getting ready to convene our 10th class. And what we offer at Eagle Oak Retreat is uh, a program called Warrior Path. Uh, Path is progressive alternative treatment for helping heroes. And what that basically is in layman's term is it is a peer led program where we help victims of trauma through their service of others, whether it be first responders or, or military veterans, um, discover who they are and what they want to be for the rest of their life. And Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically. Today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist and coach, also keynote and TEDx speaker and author of Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. As listeners to the podcast know, uh, my goal is to always bring you guests who lead their lives, their own lives with enthusiasm and can help us in various ways from their own perspectives to become better versions of ourselves. And it's with that as a background that I bring you today's guest who is not only a person who leads his life with enthusiasm and helps others to do so, but is a real hero in many ways. Uh, David Nathanson uh, served as an enlisted Marine and officer in the Marines. He has commanded at every level from plateau to regiment, including the Combat Logistics Battalion during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Additionally, he participated in many campaigns, operations, and human humanitarian assistance missions during his more than 30-year uh, career in the Marine Corps. David received his bachelor's degree from Rutgers University two master's degrees from the Marine Corps University and one from the Naval War College. So lots of degrees there. Uh, he was twice uh, selected and nominated for general officer. The promotion was denied for political reasons and he was thus forced into retirement suddenly and unexpectedly. Uh, despite all the heroics in his life, he struggled with retirement due to loss of purpose, identity, mission, focus, and profession. But he has found a purpose and now serves as executive director of Eagle Oak Retreat, a Texas-based nonprofit focused on providing combat veterans and first responders, <clears throat> excuse me, first responders with the skills necessary to overcome traumatic stress and live a life filled with purpose and passion. And I think his message is going to be a very, very important one, even for those who have not served in the military or as first responders. So on that note, David, I really want to welcome you to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that very much. Very glad to be here. Honored. Okay, well, let's let's get into it. Tell us about uh, your current mission. I don't know how many people... I uh, know about Eagle Oak Retreat or what it's doing, and uh, I know it's got a very important mission and purpose. So uh, let's let's just set the table and, and go in that direction. Great, thank you. So uh, we're we're new. We're about a year into operation. We're getting ready to convene our tenth class, and what we offer at Eagle Oak Retreat is uh, a program called Warrior Path. Uh, Path is progressive 
alternative treatment for helping heroes. And what that basically is in layman's term is it is a peer led program where we help victims of trauma through their service of others, whether it be first responders or, or military veterans, um, discover who they are and what they want to be for the rest of their life and help them find purpose and passion again outside of uh, their military or their first responder experience. Um, it is an, an amazing opportunity to, uh, to heal. Um, you know, we help folks reconcile trauma from the past. We help them identify uh, what are some of those triggers and things that uh, bring on the symptoms of post-traumatic stress? And we give them training uh, to respond instead of react to some of those stressors. Um, a lot of focus is on who we are, who we were when we experienced the trauma, who we are after the trauma, and then who we aspire to be going forward. And to you know hijack one of your, your themes, um, we help folks get in touch with that person who maybe has lost some of that enthusiasm for life. Um, we focus heavily on meditation. We focus heavily on reflection and journaling. We focus very heavily on uh, lots of metaphors to help folks recognize, you know, what it is that they're dealing with and to uh, move forward in a positive way. So it's a, it's an amazing program. Uh, we get our, uh, our source information from the Boulder Crest Institute. They've been in operation for about 10 years delivering Warrior Path. So it's a tried and true uh, program. And it's just one of those things that I'd like to make sure that everybody knows is available. If you're a veteran, a first responder, and you're suffering uh, from trauma associated with your service, please uh, look us up. We'd love to be part of, uh, you know, your ability to heal. Well, that's so, so very interesting and so important, such important work. Uh, one of the things that uh, got triggered in my head was uh, one of the first things you said was it's, it's a peer-led program. I assume that uh, that's not by accident. Uh, what uh, uh, What is the reason or the, the evidence or why, why peer-led as opposed to filling your place not filling it but having people like me leading it or or uh you know other professionals it so it, it's extremely important to know about you know first responders and veterans we're a, we're a very peculiar uh tribe within society um and a lot of the things that color the way we see the world and those that we let in and those that we trust and those that will open up to and engage in in frank authentic conversation um, a lot of the times we are the way we are because of our training. And it's not that, uh, you know, there's something that we fundamentally don't love about society. It's just we're a little bit different because of our training. And so the notion of using peers um, is pretty powerful because what you have is an environment where those that are retraining these heroes have spent time in those same circumstances as those that were trying to heal. They've experienced the same emotional trauma. They've been exposed to the sight, sounds, and smells of, you know, combat or, you know, life in, uh, in, in the role of a first responder firsthand so that you can create a connection um, that typically doesn't come easily with uh, somebody who's not been in those those same situations. So the power of the program is the fact that uh, those that are delivering it and those that are receiving the training have very similar experiences. That allows for trust 
uh, and openness to be developed pretty quickly, which allows us to then move to the heart of the matters and have conversations about what is the source of the trauma? What are the things that are holding those individuals back from feeling full of purpose and passion and enthusiasm in life um, and really get towards healing instead of, you know, spending a whole bunch of time trying to make sure that person on the other side of the chair um, understands kind of your perspective or where you're coming from. So, so we believe it's, it's an extremely effective way uh, to get after helping uh, folks who are, who have experienced trauma. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess as, as you were talking about it, I guess for uh, those of us who haven't been in that position, uh, one of the things that we may not understand is, is, Hey, you guys signed on for this. You know, it's exciting stuff that you're doing uh that you know didn't you kind of anticipate that that you'd be dealing with circumstances that that are, are pretty traumatic uh how how does how do you even get uh you know post-traumatic stress or or post-traumatic symptoms if if the very nature of your job means that that you're seeking this kind of stuff that's a this a great question and it's one that you know i've spent a lot of time thinking about you know very long career a lot of training a lot of preparation you know to go and actually do the missions that i was asked to do and and you find yourself when you stop and realize you know oh i am i'm injured in a in a way that is that directly related to post-traumatic stress you ask yourself how could that happen um you know and we spent a lot of time talking to ourselves about making sure we were morally emotionally physically spiritually prepared for the rigors of combat and then we go off and we execute combat i would tell you that you know every human being probably has a predetermined amount of trauma that they can be exposed to before they become a casualty to it and i would say that um, for most of us, it was repeated exposure to trauma that eventually got us to the point where the symptoms started to manifest. And the symptoms, again, are not a result of something wrong with us. They are a direct result, I believe, to the training that we received. I'll give you a very direct example. Hypervigilance. Uh, hypervigilance in a combat environment is coveted, and it's something that is nurtured. The ability to respond quickly and to suppress that fight or flight instinct is something that we cherish in the military and we promote and we try to bring it out in our training so that when we are confronted with a situation, we respond appropriately. Well, hypervigilance, when you leave the military and you go into the civilian world, um, looks to somebody who doesn't understand that you're hypervigilant because of your training, not because something is wrong with you. They see it as agitation. They see it as irritability. They see it as impatience. They see it as uh, aggressiveness or maybe a little bit of, uh, of withdrawing effect or on the, the other end of the spectrum, you know, that ability to suppress your fight or flight means somebody who is is suffering from post-traumatic stress uh, might be very prone to want to have an aggressive conversation about something just because it's how they were trained to kind of respond. Um, so I would say no matter who you are, no matter how much training you've received, if you are repeatedly exposed tra to traumatic experiences, uh, eventually I think you're going to be a casualty of that. And then having this new training, this new way to understand what you're, you're thinking, feeling, and why your body is responding the way it is, allows you to respond instead of react to some of those outward stimulus. For example, for me, for many years, fireworks or loud noises, backfiring cars, trash on the side of the road, 
um, triggered in me a response that was born out of my experiences while I was in a combat environment for years. Uh, improvised explosive devices were hidden in trash. And as you drove past them, they exploded and, and bad things typically happen. Uh, loud noises meant that a firefight was about to ensue. And of course, we would all respond uh, appropriately to that sound. Um, now that I've had this experience at Warrior Path, I understand that these things that are going on around me are not necessarily something that should trigger uh, a negative response. It's something that I can understand, something that I can use the practices I've received, whether, it, whether it's meditation or a breathing exercise or just an appreciation for the beauty that is fireworks, right? Or the opportunity to make a positive impact on my society by picking up that trash instead of driving away from it because I'm afraid it's going to, you know, detonate in front of me is it, pretty powerful. But again, you asked me about how did it happen? I just think over time, if you just get repeatedly exposed to trauma, you're going to be a victim uh, and a casualty of it eventually. That's that's really interesting. The the notion of the repeated exposure may be one of the things that separates out the uh, military and first responders from a lot of the people that I've worked with, where they may have had uh, one unexpected trauma, whether it be an auto accident or something like that, that triggers that that post-traumatic response um so that that that's really interesting to know but I, i'm wondering uh how does somebody uh, and this may seem like a dumb question but how's it how does somebody know that they're having you know a, a post-traumatic experience uh you know is it fairly obvious to them do other people tend to refer them to you or how what symptoms do they explain uh uh, display. Um, I guess that's the simplest way I can ask it. How do they know? Yeah, and, and again, another very uh, insightful, probing question, and it, and it, it's a good segue from your last question too about you know how does somebody become a, a casualty of post traumatic stress with all that preparation and training? You know, I would tell you what we're taught to do is to suppress our feelings and our responses and our emotional reactions to things. And so what happens is, is you create a human being who is very good at compartmentalizing and they just, you know, shove it in the rock, as we say, put it in your pack and, and refuse to deal with it and refuse to acknowledge it's something that is burdening you. And eventually that pack gets so heavy. Um, and that's when you start to see in yourself um, the manifestations of post-traumatic stress in the physical, the emotional um, and the mental you know, domains physically for me, I will, again, I'll speak with my own, uh, my own personal experience. Um, when I realized that I was injured, when I realized that, uh, post-traumatic stress was impacting me negatively, um, things about me changed. Um, I gained a tremendous amount of weight. Um, part of the reason I gained a tremendous amount of weight was I was self-medicating with alcohol. Um, I figured one way to make the pain stop was to just go numb. And so, you know, I became dependent upon, um, alcohol as a coping mechanism. Well, if you drink enough, you're going to get those excess calories and eventually you're going to lose that, that physicality that defines you while you're on active duty and you start to get, you know, a dad bod on steroids. Right. And so physically, you know, I realized that I would, I was gaining weight, you know, at my highest weight, you know, I was about 40 pounds overweight from my, when I retired, um, you can't sleep. Uh, that's another 
clear symptom that, you know, something is happening to you in the post-traumatic stress realm from the physical perspective. You don't want to sleep because of reoccurring nightmares. You can't sleep because you can't slow your heart rate or calm down or shut your brain off long enough to get good quality sleep. You can't sleep because the alcohol has messed with your circadian rhythm and your body is no longer producing those good relaxing chemicals that allow you to get to sleep. Um, so there's another key indicator that, you know, somebody is in distress. Um, irritability, withdrawing, uh, hyper aggressiveness about things. You know, I found myself always angry and frustrated uh, about the simplest of things, whereas I used to pride myself on being extremely patient and being empathetic and being able to listen to understand. I felt that, you know, at the worst of uh, my post-traumatic stress, I had a terrible short fuse and I found myself getting frustrated about things that really weren't a big deal. But physically, I just couldn't suppress my my uh my aggression and so elevated heart rate you know you start to sweat you start to get you know anxious and then you just you kind of lash out um i would tell you the most important thing is to surround yourself with what we in warrior path call a good three to five and those are the three to five individuals that know you well that you trust um and you trust them enough to listen to them when they say to you there's something wrong you're, you're not the way you were. You've lost interest in things that used to be passions of your life, right? So for me, you know, I lost the interest of reading. I lost the interest of journaling. Um, I lost the interest of being on my bicycle and outdoors or, or hiking and taking advantage of nature. You know, I just stopped doing those things that that brought me joy in life. And I had folks, luckily, on the outside who I trusted and who loved me enough to say, there's something wrong. Um we're not 100% sure what it is, but we would really like for you to to do something about it, right? And so your first stop is traditional healthcare, mental healthcare, right? So to the VA you go, um, the VA will have a conversation with you, you will quick, quickly be labeled as, you know, you have anxiety, you have depression, you have post-traumatic stress disorder, um, out comes a regimen of, of pills designed to mitigate those symptoms, but not really treat the, the root cause. And so um, having a good support group and listening to that support group is, is vital. And for me, unfortunately, it took me any, many years to actually listen to what people were saying to me and, and go seek the treatment that I so desperately needed. So it sounds like um, in your setting, you've got all these guys and women too. Yes, sir. Guys and women who, come there with some some traits that I would think makes management difficult. Uh, how how receptive are they when they uh, get there? Is there kind of a shakedown period or what what is the experience like for somebody who's going to go into one of these settings because uh, you know I'm sure it's not like they've got them all over the place where a lot of people, have exposure to it. So I'm sure that that some people will be hesitant about, you know, any, any kind of treatment setting or any kind of uh, setting to betterment to, to better themselves. Um, I'm wondering what, what's your experience when they when they come there? Yeah, we, we're, as I started earlier, we're a very suspicious bunch, the first responders and veterans. Um, you know, I would say the, the first thing is the individual who signs up to come through the program makes a commitment to be better, that they want to get the help that they need. They want to live a life of passion and purpose um, after this they attend this program. 
So we start with that advantage. That person has said, I know I need help. I want help and I'm here to get help. That's that's the first thing that I think is working in our advantage. A lot of them show up previously disappointed with traditional approaches to dealing with post-traumatic stress uh, or they're they're tired of just sucking it up and living a diminished version of themselves. And they're there because they want to be better. So that's that's the first condition that works to our advantage. The second is what you and I started our conversation on. It's the fact that there's a peer who stands in front of this this group of individuals and shares genuinely with them their journey, right? There's a lot of disclosure and there's a lot of power and disclosure up front so that folks understand, um, you know, it's almost like I, I related to a moment in a in an alcohol anonymous moment, uh, meeting where somebody says, hi, I'm, you know, I'm David and, and, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. Well, at Warrior Path, you you start off by, you know, hi, I'm David, and and I am a survivor of post-traumatic stress, living in a world of post-traumatic growth. And then you disclose your journey. Um, and then that gives you your credibility, but it also sets the conditions for folks to be honest and vulnerable. And from there, um, we just start to develop this circle of trust that allows for folks to disclose to dissect, to understand the root cause of their trauma, to understand how their reactions to to stressors and triggers in life are a direct result of both their training and their experience. And then we start to give them training um, to, to, again, you'll hear me say it over and over again, respond instead of react. Um, and, and it's one of those things that that is is magical when you see it in execution. And, and the best way I can describe it for folks is, when you know we have a new group of students show up, we we capture the moment in photography, and you can see on their faces that there is there is withdrawal, there is fatigue, there is fear, there is you know you know retraction. Um, there's not a lot of smiling. The eyes have lost some of that that you know glow and that spark, if you will. And then by the time that first week is up, we take pictures again, and you see changed human beings. Um, so it, it it's a combination of the modules, what we're training, um, who we're having given the training, and then who's showing up for this training. And I think that makes it so effective. Um, there's probably folks who have a lot of degrees on the wall who could tell me you know, why the psychology is what it is and why it works. But for me, I can tell you from my own personal experience, I sat there um, as a student going through this program and I believed to my very essence that those four individuals who were teaching me, they cared about me. They trusted me. I trusted them. They had walked the same path that I had walked. They had something of value to offer. Um, and they were living a life of purpose and passion that I desired, that I missed. And so that enabled me to trust and lean into these practices. And I think that's why we're very successful is because we create the conditions for folks to, to embrace true change. That's, that's wonderful. And I, as a positive psychologist, I obviously got cited when you use the term post-traumatic growth, but maybe not everybody understands the term. So how, how do you know, well, first of all, what is it and how do you know when somebody is is achieving it, or at least moving in that direction, we so we use a couple different um, domains to describe somebody who has transcended their post traumatic stress and moved into uh, the, the realm of post traumatic growth. I, I won't pretend to be an expert on post traumatic growth. Um, you know, my understanding, like I said, it comes from the seminal work of Dr. Rich Tedeschi, Dr. Lawrence Calhoun, and they studied, you know, grieving parents who lost their kids and they studied 
the uh, prisoners of war at the Hanoi Hilton during the Vietnam conflict. And what they found was after experiencing tremendous trauma, there was this capacity to go on and do amazing things, to live a life of purpose and passion, to to move beyond that trauma, to be somebody who is very connected to their community, very connected to their fellow man and exhibits these traits that we look for when we see somebody who is moving into post-traumatic growth. The first is, you know, is a greater appreciation for life. Nothing can help you appreciate life more than being in a situation where you've either confronted loss of life or you feared losing your own life or you've been around uh, such circumstances that, you know, you, you start to see the worst of situations that humanity can be confronted with. Um, you have two choices after that moment. You can continue to to relive and be re-traumatized by those experiences, or you can stop and, and understand now you have a tremendous opportunity to appreciate the life that you have, the fact that you survived that trauma, and you can go on and have a greater appreciation for life and see the things that are around you as new opportunities and a newfound uh, ability to, to do amazing things. Um, you A person who's experiencing post-traumatic growth is, is more authentic and open and genuine and open to greater, deeper relationships with new people, right? Um, they they believe that anyone they meet is somebody who has an interesting story or experience that if they hear, it's going to enrich or fulfill their life. And they seek that out. They, they try um, to get everything they can from every encounter with every human being, um, which again is completely opposite from somebody who's struggling with post-traumatic stress because most folks that I know who are struggling with post-traumatic stress want nothing to do with other people. They like to withdraw. They like to, you know, push people away and, and, you know, look within instead of looking outward. Um, you know, you, you have to accept that you have two choices in life. You can experience trauma and then live as a diminished version of yourself for the rest of your life. Or you could acknowledge that through that trauma, you have an opportunity to transcend it, to go to a state of not only surviving, but thriving, because you have two choices um, that you can always control in life. And that's your attitude and your effort and the way you look at the world and the way you respond to things. Um, so, you know, again, a very simplistic, paraphrased, um, you know, marine explanation of post-traumatic growth. But for me... I realized I was in a state of post-traumatic growth when I was open to things that I was previously closed off to. New relationships, making friends, reacquainting myself with old uh, acquaintances who I had pushed aside and isolated for myself, an appreciation for the life that I have. Um, instead of looking backwards, I started to find myself looking forwards. Um, I started to value different things. You know, I re in retirement, I think I made a mistake that a lot of folks retire or immediately transition to a corporate setting where you chase money uh, and you equate money with happiness. And, and what I realized was in a, in a state of post-traumatic growth, um, money is interesting, but not compelling. My human connections, my friendships, the people that I love and who love me, the experiences that I get every day when I walk out the door and I have an opportunity to to share my story with somebody or to hear somebody's story and, and help them grow, um, I found is way more valuable than any dollar that goes into my bank account. To me, that's when I knew that I had moved into a, a world of post-traumatic growth um, away from the post-traumatic stress side. Really so much uh, profound stuff and really gold in that in that response. Uh, I hope people will replay it because there, there's a lot there. Uh, I'm wondering though, I think anytime you get a group, uh, you 
have some people who take to it better than others. Uh, do you, is there anything that you can do to predict or have you learned anything about who is better able to, to benefit or may just not be ready yet to, that, that you can know in advance or is it kind of, you know, the way they go through it? I, I mean, I think there's always indications that you can pick up on if you're paying attention, right? And I think that's one of the things that also is powerful about it being peer-led uh, training, right? You know, so we are we are masters. Those of us who spent significant amount of time in the military and who spent time in in a combat environment, or even not in a combat environment, just in a normal operational training environment, you become students of people, right? And you start to pick up the things that let you know if somebody is buying what you're selling or not, right? And so the typical things you look for are the the outward body language manifestations, right? So um, you'll know when somebody is is actively participating, engaged, if they don't fold their arms like this, right? Or if you watch their eyes, if they're if they're looking at you, they're maintaining and holding eye contact, uh, or are they looking around the room, or if they're you know furrowing their brow or rolling their eyes, you look for those those physical cues. Um, the, the other thing we look for is we start to hear changes in their vocabulary, things that they say uh, that we didn't hear when they first got there. And so, you know, victim mentality quickly is replaced with an understanding of I am not broken. There's nothing wrong with me. I am merely a product of my experience and my, my training. And you start to hear them express their ability to make decisions for themselves, right? I'm not going to be a victim of my circumstances anymore. I can control two things, attitude and effort, right? Victor Frankl taught us that in his, his you know, his great work, man's, uh, you know, search for the meaning of life. So you you start to hear things in the vocabulary that says, okay, they're starting to, to embrace and lean into it. Um, you'll see folks very quickly if they're going to dismiss. Um, I think what I would tell you is when I see somebody who is not fully embracing it or or maybe they're resisting it a little bit that's just uh you know greater impetus to lean into them even even more right and try to show them through your example right and so that's one of the amazing things about this program is the expert guide is what we try to create that's somebody who doesn't necessarily have to deliver warrior path in a formal setting it's somebody who exemplifies the traits of a person in post traumatic growth and so what you try to do is you try to show them through your actions and your, ins your inspirational, you know, uh, example to show them that, hey, you want to be part of this post-traumatic growth. You want to let go of the things that are holding you back and, and come get some of this amazingness, right? And so what we try to do is we try to double down on the example that we set, right? And so one of the things that I learned as a young officer in the Marines was never ask your Marines to do something that you were not capable or willing to do yourself. Right. And general Mattis used to tell us all the time, carry your own bags and, and leaders eat last. Uh, so for me, the amazing thing about being part of this program is every time we're in, in path session, I have another opportunity to show all of these men and women that I am not asking them to do anything that I myself am not willing or capable of doing. And again, that's living an example of a person who is in a state of post-traumatic growth, who has made the decision to be healthy, to be better. And so um, when you see the symptoms of folks who are resisting, just, just be a brighter example for them to follow. I've not seen in, in my short time in this role, um, I've not seen 
Uh, somebody who just outright says, I'm, I'm not going to participate and I'm not going to get better. We use a wellness triangle is the uh, the benchmark for how we determine how folks are doing. And we ask folks to self-evaluate themselves on mind, body, spirit, and finances. And what we find through those that analysis and those discussions is, you know, folks really get um, reflective at those moments. And you can really see that folks have accepted and leaned into kind of the practices. Um, were you always a leader? I mean, it's obvious that uh, they, they made a good choice in installing you in that job. Uh, no, sir. I mean, no, sir. Uh, and I was also um, I was I was also extremely introverted when I was younger. Uh, so I'm a I'm a very interesting, uh, you know, individual, I believe, because of the my life has changed who I am. Right. Um, not my fundamentals or, you know, the foundation upon which I, you know, I built myself, but I've changed in terms of the way I, um, I appreciate and approach life through my experiences. So, so, you know, I would say that, and we talked about this in the Marine Corps all the time, are leaders born or are they made? Um, and I would tell you that I think I am, I am the product of, of a tremendous, uh, developmental crucible, right? I watched and learned from some of the greatest leaders of, of my generation and the late, the greatest leaders that the Marine Corps has produced in the last, you know, probably 30, 40, 50 years, I benefited from their leadership and, and they invested in me. Um, and, and I was smart enough to pay attention. Um, and they were patient enough to let me make mistakes and we would after action those mistakes and, and get better. So, so I would say, I don't think I was born a leader. I will tell you, um, I started studying leadership at an early age. I went off to a military school at 13. Um, I knew at an early age, I wanted to be in the military, but if you had met me from ages, you know, one through 11, you would have said, there's no way in the world he's ever going to make it in the military. I was a sickly child. I had terrible childhood asthma. I was a very overweight child. I couldn't walk from here to there without losing my breath. I could not go outside because of some of the, you know, the responses and reactions I had to the environmental conditions. And, you know, my mom very lovingly sat me down with a book about Teddy Roosevelt and said, he was able to do it. I have faith that you can do it and transcend and go off to be something uh, greater than self. And so my my journey to to become a leader started at an early age, but I definitely benefited from from great examples. And I will tell you that I I benefited from being humbled and honored to lead some of the greatest that our nation has to offer over 30 years. I mean, I I really worked at being a good leader because um, the young men and women who were entrusted to me needed me to be the best possible leader. And so I took it very serious and I studied and I studied and I studied, but uh, long answer, I was not born this way, but I definitely worked very hard to, to get this way. Well, you should be very, very proud. Um, and after that buildup, let me ask you uh, an unfair question probably, which is, um, do you, for for those who have not served at, in the, either in the military or as first responders, is there anything from your experience or from your program that you can suggest if somebody is dealing with obviously not the same kind of trauma that you're talking about in, in most cases, but just that can be generalized from your experiences to the, the more civilian world? Yeah, I, 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 we, we all believe at at Warrior Path um, and at Boulder Crest 
and Avalon Action Alliance that, you know, what we're on to here um, is is good for anybody, anybody. And, and you know, again, I don't, I don't want to speak outside my lane and, and offer an opinion about something that I am completely, you know, unqualified to talk about. But as I look around society, I see that there are a lot of people who are dealing with trauma. And one of the things we talk about in our program is don't compare traumas. One person's traumatic experience is is a very personal uh, trauma that is theirs and theirs alone. And you shouldn't look out and say, well, I had more or less trauma than that particular individual. But I think what we're up to is is very applicable for, for civilians um, or folks that haven't served um, as a first responder. And I think the lessons are universal and they're lessons that are not new, right? The basis of some of our you know intellectual study goes all the way back right, to ancient society where you had, you know, the a very uh, introspective society in the Greeks, right? And they looked at those folks that went to fight wars as part-time jobs and then came back and did their civilian jobs. And so the, the lessons are, are rooted in history. So I would say anybody can benefit from our program. Um, we teach transcendental meditation at Warrior Path, an amazing, amazing resource to help center and to prepare you for the day, uh, you know, I do my transcendental meditation first thing in the morning and later in the afternoon so that I've I've centered my mind and my heart um, for what might happen during the day. Um, so transcendental meditation or any guided meditation, anybody can just start doing right. I'm just fortunate enough that I was taught by a transcendental meditation specialist um, breathing techniques. So when you're confronted with a frustrating situation, just to stop and do a, you know, what we call a four, six, eight, inhale for four seconds, hold your breath for six and exhale for eight, do that three times before you respond to something is an amazing tool, again, to put yourself back congruent uh, with, with what's going on around you. And just taking that time to, to think before you react is something that is powerful for anybody. Um, we do a, a labyrinth ceremony, which is, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's again, it's an ancient practice where folks would go into a labyrinth carrying, um, you know, metaphorical wounds or injuries or things that they were having trouble letting go. And you get to the center of that labyrinth and you leave it there. Um, and when you come out, you're welcomed back into society with somebody who's let go some of that that burden, some of that trauma. Um, you know, there's you can anybody listening to this right now could go online and just do a Google search for a labyrinth finder, and they can find a labyrinth near them, and they can do a very quick read about, you know, what is the metaphorical and healing aspect of a labyrinth, and just go there and practice the labyrinth themselves. Um, you know, we utilize yoga, which is an amazing again uh, work. Uh, to to center yourself, your mind, your body, your spirit. Again, civilian folks can do yoga, and, and there's many more that do a lot more yoga than than anybody in the military has ever done. Um, and then I would just say that some of the things we ask them to consider, um, anybody in society consider. I mean, there's something magical about just handing somebody Viktor Frankl's book and saying, "Here, read this," and then remind them you control your attitude and your effort. How you respond to things in life is up to you. Um, you know, we, we show this great film where, uh, you know, this, this very insightful rabbi talks about how a lobster, you know, grows its new shell and uh, it gets uncomfortable in its shell and it finds a safe place under a rock and it comes out of that shell and it grows a new one and it continues to do that process. And every time um, it knows it's time for a new shell as it gets uncomfortable and it makes the decision to find a safe place to then 
to then transform itself to grow. And I think that's a message for anyone in society that if, if you experience hard times, if you experience trauma, seek a safe port, use some practices to, to feel comfortable and to grow and then emerge from that safe, you know, harbor a, a better version of yourself. And I just think that that's a universal thing that, that anybody who's suffering from, from any kind of trauma could benefit from. And again, it just starts with, uh, an openness to say, I want to be different. I want to be better. I want to choose to live a life of purpose and passion and not choose to be a victim. Great advice. And the, the thing that you keep repeating that you control your attitude and your effort, probably a real key cornerstone to thinking, because if you acknowledge that leads to a whole lot of uh, seeking ways to do that and, and to feel in control. So, I mean, it's been so very, very interesting. Um, before we wrap up though, uh, can you run by us the, the program if somebody signs up and mm -hmm. then tell us, uh, you know, how people can learn more about it, learn more about you and so on. Absolutely. Um, so it, it's very easy. Anybody who is listening or knows somebody that is is struggling with with post-traumatic stress and is a first responder or a veteran um, they can simply go to eagleoakretreat.org um, and up on the top of our webpage, there's a whole bunch of different links uh, you know they can click on the link about eagle oak retreat and learn about our mission and our purpose they can click on our programs and they can learn about the different programs that we offer but most importantly at the bottom of the page on the right-hand side is, is the application portion. All they have to do is click that link, fill in some information about themselves, and within 24 hours, they will be contacted by somebody from within the organization to start the intake process to determine their eligibility and then to start the process to get them um, interviewed, screened, and then assigned to a class. Um, it's, it's that simple. Um, they could also go to, uh, Boulder Crest, just Google Boulder Crest. And from there, they'll be able to see all of the organizations within the network that provide it because there's locations throughout the country where folks can go and take advantage of this, this program. So I would say, you know, that's where they can start. Um, for loved ones who know somebody who is struggling with post-traumatic stress and they're not ready to, to acknowledge that they need assistance or help. There's this amazing video out there that I encourage anybody who knows someone who's suffering from post-traumatic stress. And, and it's a, a video on YouTube you can find. It's called On Duty. All you have to do is put in On Duty um, and, and YouTube will bring up this video that was produced by Boulder Crest. I would tell you, sir, it is the single most accurate depiction of what an individual suffering from post-traumatic stress is experiencing in, in moments throughout the day. And, and it speaks to not only the person who is looking at the person who's suffering, but it speaks to the person who is suffering and gives them a glimpse that there is a better alternative to living a life diminished. So those two areas, I would definitely direct folks to go to. Um, as I said, the program is one week on location. Um, all the veteran or first responder has to do is apply. Uh, we take care of everything else. We will, we will get them there. We will house them. We will feed them. We will care for them. We will uh, graduate them after that first week with uh, an application to support their continued education and their journey along this new path. They will have a new support group um, and they will not be uh, forgotten. This is not a catch and release program where we throw some knowledge your way and we say, good luck. You know, once you're part of the tribe, 
um, you're part of the tribe for life and you can simply reach out to one of your guides or one of your classmates and, and help is only, you know, an ask away. And so really encourage folks to take a look at those resources. And again, if all else fails, um, people can contact me directly, uh, david.nathanson uh, at eagleoakretreat.org. They can they contact me 24 hours a day um, and I will respond and I will definitely help them receive the gift that I was so generously given uh, a couple months ago, which not only changed, but saved my life, sir. So thank you for asking and thank you for allowing me an opportunity to speak with you today. It's been a wonderful opportunity for me to learn about this resource. And as I understand, there are other places throughout the country that are part of the network. So if somebody isn't near Texas uh, or it's inconvenient to get to Texas, uh, they, there are other opportunities. Although, I uh, am I correct, there's not a geographical requirement. In other words, if I'm living in Pennsylvania, I could still apply in, for your program? Yes, sir. And so there's there's locations in California, in Arizona, in Maine, in in Georgia, in Virginia, in Texas. Um, and then there's also uh, two mobile training teams that will go to locations around the country where the need exists. Um, but the excuse me, the good thing about this program is through the Avalon Action Alliance, um, we can identify a an at-risk individual from anywhere within the country, and we can assign them to a class. And again, we can take care of the transportation costs to get them to that class. But the good news is it, it is showing up on different locations. As I said, there's seven locations uh, geographically distributed around the country. Um, we will we will find the appropriate place for the individual to go to start this healing. How frequently does a new class start at a location? Most locations have uh, have at least one class a month. And so it's typically uh, from the time that somebody applies to the time that they are, you know, sitting in a class. Um, we try to minimize that time, obviously, but new classes form every every month. Um, and again, there's classes at all these locations going on near simultaneous. You know, we, we are very good at finding the location and the time that suits the individual schedule. It's a wonderful resource and not many of us knew about, and I'm really, really happy that I was able to uh, invite you and more than happy that you accepted the invitation and really happy that uh, you've been able to articulate so well a problem that I know isn't addressed often enough. And it's nice to know that there there is what sounds like a pretty painless way of addressing it. Uh, of addressing a, a real pain. We uh, will have in the show notes the various links that you mentioned, the various ways of reaching out. And again, uh, if there are any real questions, you can contact David directly and, and he can help point you in the right direction. Uh, so it's been great. Thanks very much, David. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. And again, I appreciate this. And this brings to uh, close another episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our special guest today was David Nathanson with some really, really important advice and, and a really important message for all of us. Um, in the meantime, I hope that you all have learned a lot, that you'll re-listen especially to some key parts of the interview, tell your friends about it and download uh, 
rate and review the podcast. And then uh, don't forget to be back next week when we'll have another really interesting guest. In the meantime, everybody stay positive and stay safe, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>